welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 6th of January 2013, entitled The Year Ahead, Making It Count. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. There are a few of you that were here for the New Year's Eve, and we touched on a couple of the verses in this passage. You kind of got... Uh, a short version of a few of these things that we want to look at uh, this morning. But uh, Philippians chapter 3, we find a, a passage of Scripture that, uh, again, is familiar to us. I guess it's been uh, back last year that we did a series on these, on these verses, but just a little different thought. There's always so many things that we can pull from any passage of Scripture. And uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to read verses 10 through 14 of Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I invite you to stand with me this morning to honor the reading of God's precious Word, beginning with Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, "...that I may know Him." and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the righteousness of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Father, thank you again for our time this morning. We thank you for your word that we've just read from. We thank you for your spirit that lives and dwells within us. And Lord, we thank you for the confidence of knowing that at this time that, Lord, we need not depend upon the wisdom and the words of man. But, Father, as we are gathered here to worship you today, Father, we recognize that we can depend upon you, upon the power of your spirit, upon your living word, Lord, to find its place in the hearts of each one here today. And so, Lord, now that's what we pray and seek and desire and ask for with all of our hearts. As you know the needs of each one, Lord, that you would speak to those hearts. If there is anyone in our midst this morning that has never truly been born again, we pray, Lord, that you would not only show them their need, but, Lord, that you would draw them into yourself through the Spirit. And, Father, for every Christian, Lord, again, you know the need of each one. We are totally dependent upon you. Lord, would you speak that to our hearts today? Lord, that is most needed, that we can honestly and genuinely know that when we leave this place today, that we are closer to our Savior and more like him than when we came. And we will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for it. For it's in Christ's name alone that we pray. Amen and amen. We find that... Of course, this passage that we have before us is both looking at the present and looking at the future. The Apostle Paul knows that there is a prize at the end of the way that is awaiting us, 
that no words can describe. He knows there's going to be a day when he will be just like his Savior. But he also knows that there is a present in which we live. The last book of your Bible in Revelation chapter 21, we find this beginning in verse 1 of that chapter. And he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. We find that, wow, what a glorious day, what a glorious promise. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend what it's going to be like when there'll be no more sin, no more sickness, no more pain, when all things will be made new. And we look forward to that day. And that gives us hope many times when things around us are pretty hopeless. God is the giver of many wonderful things, as a matter of fact, of all things. We have so very much to look forward to, but we also have many new things that God's already given us. If you've come to him through Jesus Christ today, then he's given you a new birth. And in that new birth, he's given you a new life, a life that will last for all of eternity. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new nature. He's given you a new hope that you can hold on to regardless of circumstances. He's given us a new task, a new purpose, a new reason for living. And yes, he's given us a new body and a new home at the end of it all. And of course, as we tick off the dates upon the calendar, God's given us a new year. He's given us another one. One simple question for you this morning, will we make it count? Because see, that's our simple thought this morning, the year ahead, making it count. Now, unless God chooses to remove you from planet Earth, the simple truth is, is that we will go through this year and we will think many things and we will do many things. We will be many places, but I just want us to begin this first Sunday of the year by asking ourselves, will I make it count? Will it really count for anything worthwhile? You see, if it's going to count, what, what will we make it count for? Will it truly count for something useful? Or will we waste it on so many of the trivial things of this life that are all so temporary? I wonder, as we look back at the year that's just passed, did last year count 
as it should have? You see, we have a new chance for a new start. You know, whatever your past, in Jesus Christ, there's always a chance for a new start. And whatever this past year has held for us, we can't change that. But the question, what will we do with this year, with the time that God has given us? In the text that's before us, I think the Apostle Paul is determined to make what lies ahead count for something. To make it count for something worthwhile. The first thing that I see here in this passage is a recognition. You see, the overall theme as we have read these verses before us, the overall theme of these verses is his recognition of a primary goal, of one thing that he must do, that primary goal being like the Savior, being like Jesus Christ. And the fact is, though, though he hasn't fully realized it, he hasn't fully apprehended it, but it's, it's what Christ has apprehended him for. God's purpose is to make you like him. That's a definite. He determines to turn his back on the things that are already behind him because there's something more special ahead. He's determined to press towards the mark, the goal. If there's one primary goal in everything that he does with his days ahead, it is to be like Christ, to be more like him. That's the one thing that if it changes, it will change every area of our life. Paul says, this one thing I do. I mentioned on New Year's Eve, I had someone ask not long ago, what's your resolution for the new year? And I did simply say, well, it could really be summed up. I said, there's lots of things that I hope that I do better and that I get more right and all these in this year ahead. But it could really be summed up in one simple thing, to be more like Jesus, <laughs> to be more like him. Because what well, I almost preached today, but didn't, you know, to be more like him, it's going to make us. It's going to make us a better partner, a better spouse, better husbands and wives. It's going to make us better parents. It's going to make us better people. The simple truth is it will change every area of our life. And if we're more like Christ in everything that we do, then every area of our life will improve. This one thing I do. Of course, many would recognize the name of Adoniram Judson, his wife, the wife of this great missionary, told him one day that a newspaper article that had been written about him and his missionary work had likened him to some of the apostles in the Bible. Justin replied, hey, I don't want to be like the apostle Paul. I don't want to be like any mere man. I want to be like Christ. 
I want to be like Jesus Christ himself. I want to follow him only. I want to copy his teachings. I want to drink in his spirit. I want to place my feet in his footprints. Oh, to be more like Christ. Carol Mayhill tells of a woman that many of you will relate to this. Probably one of the most broken New Year's resolutions of all time is I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> I'm going to lose weight. And we may mean it, and we may work hard at it for a day or a couple of days or a week or a couple of months, but it tends to fall by the wayside. I read the story of the lady that she was determined in the new year ahead. She was going to lose weight. So she set herself and she enrolled herself in one of these diet centers where you go along and they keep check on you and you do all these things together. And she was quite shocked when she arrived there the first day and she was told to stand before this full-length mirror. And she stood there before the mirror. And the person that was heading up to class took a marker and, and marked on this mirror, but those lines on that mirror didn't look anything like what she looked they were a whole lot smaller than she was, and she was kind of hanging out over the sides of all those lines that were there. She says, what's this? And he says, that's your goal. That's what you're going to be like when you finish this course. That's going to be your outline at that point. And, of course, okay, she started out. And like most, had some setbacks. Some weeks she did better than other weeks, but eventually she walked in there one day, and she stood before that mirror, and she fit within those lines. That image that had been drawn upon that mirror, she fit within it perfectly. You see, that image had only been something that she was aiming for, that she was wanting to be like, until that one day when finally she was like the image that had been her goal. Folks, that's what Paul is recognizing here. He's recognizing that, boy... I'm nowhere near yet. I don't fit the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's my goal. That's what I want to be like. I want to be as much close fitting perfectly in his image that I possibly, possibly can. So the first thing we see here in making that year ahead count is simply a recognition. A recognition that there's this one thing, this one thing, this one goal, this one thing that we must do. There's lots of things that may want to, we may want to do, but there's one thing that we must do. We find that the second thing that I see here, you see, Paul said, first of all, he said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We are. We are taken into the Lord Jesus Christ to be made into his image. And that's what we need to be striving for, brethren. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. The recognition of the one thing. Secondly, is something that is familiar to every child of God, but it must remain familiar to us day by day. And if you're here and you're not a Christian today, it's always the first step to God, and that's that simple thing called repentance. Recognition of what our goal is. 
recognition of what it is that we're, that we're aiming for. What is our goal? What is the mark that we're aiming at? Secondly, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Many people would recognize a name in history that some 150 years ago, this month, he made a declaration. It was actually April of 1863 that it came into being. That man's name was Abraham Lincoln. That statement that he made was known as the Emancipation Proclamation. Listen to these words. This was 150 years ago, I remind you. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and, and, and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings are produced by some superior wisdom in virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. That was when he proclaimed and set aside a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, as he called it, because people and nations, if you'll allow the terminology, can get too big for their pants. They can think that they've got it all themselves, that they can do it all, that it's all what they're doing. The simple truth is, is that it's only God. It's only God that allows us to be, to give us a genuine goal that is worthwhile you see, as the Apostle Paul looks back here, forgetting those things, he undoubtedly sees some accomplishments. There were some good things that happened last year. But he also sees some failures. He sees some things that, well, I sure wish I hadn't done that. Or I sure wish I'd done that better. He determines to do something, though. He determines here to turn his back on all that is behind him. Why? Because there's something more important ahead. There's really only one way and one way alone that we can genuinely forget those things that are behind and that we can truly reach forth to that which is ahead, and that is through repentance. There is no other way. That's what repentance is all about turning our back on one thing but turning towards something else. You see, the first step to God is always repentance. You can't 
even separate faith and repentance. We have some that they just want some kind of a simple, easy believism. If you just believe this, if you just say this, if you just go through these three steps and pray this little prayer, then you're on your way to heaven. Folks, there are two aspects of one movement in our life. When we turn away from sin and turn to the Savior to follow him by simple faith in him, it is one movement. It is one act. The reality is, is that we can't do one without the other. For the lost, we find that this thing called repentance is the only way. The only way. You can't keep following the world and reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. You've heard me use the illustration before. So many times the problem is, is that we want to we hold Jesus by one hand and we want to hold the world with the other. And what we want to do is we want to be able to, uh, to kind of keep him appeased. We don't want him striking down lightning on us or, you know, uh, doing some horrible thing to judge us because we've done this horrible thing. But at the same time, we just want to do enough to stay out of trouble. The fact is we're trying to see how much do I really have to give up in the world and still be okay with God instead of turning our back on the world and really asking the question the other way, what can I do to be most like him? Not what can I still do and keep him from getting mad at me, but what can I do to be most like him? See, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, Verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is what he was saying. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent and and believe. That was the message that Jesus brought. The Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and in verse 32, the Word of God tells us this. It says, Jesus speaking, I am come to call. I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. Jesus didn't come to find all the good people. He came for those that would recognize themselves as sinners and be willing to come to repentance. In that same book in Luke chapter 13, where God tells us in verse 2 and 3, and Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Listen, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. There's only one way to avoid the perishing. Repentance. 
You got to turn around. You got to go another direction. You got to do something different than what you're doing now. You've got to repent and believe. You got to turn away from the world and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> you want times of refreshing? You want to really know the presence of the Lord? The sin's got to go. The sin's got to be blotted out. The sin has to be done away with. In Acts chapter 17 and in verse 30, the Bible says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, to repent. You see, do we want to make the new year count? Is it going to count for something worthwhile? Then first of all, we've got to recognize We've got to recognize the one thing that needs to be done with our life. We've got to recognize that his Christ-likeness is to be more like him. That's what's going to make the difference. And we've got to be willing to repent. If you don't know Jesus Christ, there is no other way. I wish that I could tell you that all your religion would accomplish it for you, that your goodness, that all your good intentions and all of these things. But the Bible simply says you must repent and you must believe. There is no other option. But the exciting thing is, is that we're reading that from God's Word today. You've got God's Word upon it. Are you willing? Are you willing? Because all the intentions on the inside does absolutely no good if it doesn't bring about an action on the outside. Repentance is not about, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm really sorry I did that. Oh. I shouldn't have done that. It's not about just being sorry and feeling guilty for what you did. It's about seeing that sin as God sees it. It's about seeing, oh, I shouldn't have done that. God, please help me. Please get this out of my life. I want nothing to do with it. You see, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to follow him. Repentance is about putting those things behind you. The only way they can be put behind you, we've seen in Scripture, is that they go into the blood. That's the only way they can be blotted out. How is the new year before us going to count? Recognizing that to be like Jesus Christ, that's his plan, and that should be our, our desire, our, our goal, repentance. Repenting. You see, for the Christian, it's the only way to joy, to happiness, to that sweet fellowship with the Lord. We can have all the religion in the world. As long as we allow sin to separate us from God, we'll never, ever know the true depths of joy and fellowship. Time and again, it's the message to the wayward Christian in Scripture. Over and over as we look into the book of Revelations and we, and we see those seven churches that are listed out, that yes, we're seven real churches, but they're also types of churches right through every age. And they're also types, and when we look that we are in that Laodicean church age, that, that last period before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what was the message to those churches that had gone astray? Repent, repent, repent. Turn around, start going a different direction. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, 
going forth, going forth to those things which are before. Repentance will always, of necessity, make a difference, not only in how we think, but in how we act. Gypsy Smith, which is a name again recognized by most Christians that have ever read about this great man of God, he tells a story of when he was in South Africa and he said there was this fine Dutchman that came into one of his services one evening and God laid his hand on him and God convicted him of sin and God saved his soul. The next morning, that Dutchman was found in the home of another Dutchman and he asked him as he pulled this beautiful watch out of his pocket, do you, do you recognize this old watch, sir? Well, yes, the man said. Well, those are my initials on it. Well, I, I lost that watch eight years ago. How did you get it? How long have you had it? He looked right in his eyes, Brother Steve, and he said, I stole it from you eight years ago. Well, why in the world are you bringing it back now? He said, because last night I was converted. <laughs> My life took a new direction. He said, as a matter of fact, I would have been here last night if you'd still been up, but it was the first thing I had to do this morning was to bring this back. Dwight L. Moody, he tells a couple of stories when he speaks of a professor that once described a man that was going into one of their after meetings to learn what it meant to be born again, and this man wanting to become a Christian. And he was asked this question. He said, well, my friend, what is the trouble? He didn't really want to talk. He didn't really want to come out with it. But he finally said, he said, the fact is, I've overdrawn my account. And, of course, in that day, that was a polite way of saying that he'd been stealing what didn't belong to him. He said, what? Did you take money from your employer? He said, yes. How much did you take? I don't know. It's been going on a while, and I really haven't kept track of it. Well, I mean, are we talking, you know, was, was it, was it $1,500 last year? And he said, oh, yeah, I'm afraid it was at least that much. Now, look here, sir. I don't believe in sudden work. Don't steal more than $1,000 this next year. And the next year, don't steal more than $500. And in the course of the next few years, you'll get yourself to where you don't steal anymore. If your employer catches you, tell him that you are in the process of being converted and that you'll get so that you won't steal by and by. Mr. Moody said, my friends, that is an absolute perfect farce. The Bible says, let them that stole steal no more. He says, that's what the Bible says, and it's an about face. He said, take another illustration. Here comes a man, and he admits that he, that he gets drunk every week, that no man comes to a meeting, and as he comes to that meeting, he wants to be converted. He said, shall I say to that man, well, now, don't you be in a hurry. I believe in doing this work gradually to make sure that we get it right. Don't. Don't you get drunk and knock your wife down more than once a month from now on. He said, wouldn't that be refreshing to his wife to know that for a whole month she can go without being knocked down once a month? That's only 12 times in a year. Wouldn't she be glad for him to, 
to be converted and find this new way? Only get drunk after a few years, maybe on your anniversary of your wedding or something, and, and then maybe at Christmas time, and then it'll be effective because it's going to be gradual. Mr. Moody says, oh, I detest that kind of teaching. He said, let's go to the Bible and see what that old book teaches. Let us believe it and go and act as if we believed it too. He said, salvation is instantaneous. Now, the work of sanctification in our lives is a process as we become more like him. But a man may be a thief one moment and a saint the next. He said, I believe a man may be as vile as hell itself one moment to be saved the next. Christian growth is gradual, just like physical growth is. But a man passes from death unto everlasting life just as quick as an act of the will. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Folks, in the new year ahead, how is it going to count for you? Will we make it count? Will we recognize as the Apostle Paul that there's one thing that we must do? There's one thing that we must do. That's to be like Jesus. That's what he planned for us. That should be our goal, to be like him. And yes, that's going to happen one day at the end of the road. But the first thing, we need to repent. If you're not saved, the only way you're going to be like Jesus is to be saved. You've got to be willing to turn your back on the sin and follow Jesus. And Christians, we've got to be willing to forget those things that are behind, to put that sin behind us, to give it to Jesus. He's the one that died for it. You can either keep hanging on to them, and you go right on and, and, and waste all that time in the new year, or you can do as the Apostle Paul, forget those things are behind and reach forth to those things which are ahead. By repenting, recognition, repentance. A third thing we see here, he says in verses 13 and 14, reaching forth into those things which are before, he said, I press towards the mark. I press towards the mark. We sang about it earlier. The third thing we see is resolve. Resolve. I use as a matter of illustration once again, the great statesman Abraham Lincoln, when he went to sign that great proclamation, he had a resolve in his life that drove him. The final draft of the Emancipation Proclamation was taken to Abraham Lincoln at noon on January the 1st, 1863. It says twice the president picked up his pen to sign it and twice he laid it down. Turning to Secretary of State William Seward, he said, I've been shaking hands since 9 o'clock this morning. He said, my right arm is almost paralyzed. If my name ever goes into history, it will be for this act. Listen to his next word. He says, and my whole soul is in it. He said, if my hand trembles when I sign the proclamation, all who examine the document later will say that he hesitated. So that mustn't be. He took up the pen again and he slowly but firmly wrote his name, Abraham Lincoln. That single and simple historic act endeared him to the world as the great emancipator as he signed that proclamation to set others 
free. Resolve. You see, we need to have resolve in life that we're determined. If people are going to know us for anything in this life, what's it going to be for? (laughs) For being a good old person? For being a helpful person? For being a religious person? For being like Jesus? For being like Jesus? That people can see Christ in you. Abraham Lincoln is also one that said that uh, it's best not to swap horses while crossing the stream. That's not the best place to decide on a different mode of transport. (laughs) Paul had a resolve. He had a determination. He had a goal with his life. You see, as we look back and as we recognize that one thing that we must do, and as we, all of us, turn our backs on the things before and press towards those, those things before us, there's some things we might need to repent of. Sometimes it's sin. You know, prayers are hindered and our joy is stolen all because of sin. Christians are, are miserable when sin is present in their lives. Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, and as soon as the Lord looked at him, the Bible says he wept bitterly. It broke his heart. There's something wrong if you're saying on the one hand you're a child of God and yet you can be happy with sin. Sometimes it's not the sins we do, but it's the neglect. Maybe maybe you haven't engaged in any kind of open sin, but maybe it's just your Christian duties that have been neglected. How faithful have we honestly been this past year? Have other things taken up our time inappropriately? Have we read our Bible? Have we prayed as we ought to? Have we witnessed as we should, both personally with the opportunities that we have day to day and corporately as we come together as a church, as the body of Christ? Have we done our part? Have we served our church as we should? Have we just simply and truly Giving him our best. He doesn't ask for anything more. He doesn't ask you to do what anybody else is doing. Have we given him our best? You know, sometimes we need to repent of just what's going on inside, not outside. Our wrong spirits, our wrong attitudes. And boy, you know, we could camp out there and we could talk for a long while. But the simple truth is, is that too many Christians, while looking good on the outside and looking so spiritual and looking so religious, they're filled with all the wrong feelings and all the wrong thoughts and all the wrong ideas that are just as deadly as a poisonous snake. We've got to put out these things behind us. We've got to put those things behind us genuinely under the blood and be able to forget them and have the resolve that we're going to press towards the mark, that there's something more important ahead of us, just as Daniel I'm not going to turn and read all these passages because time is gone. But you can read them for yourself. You remember the story of Daniel? Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself. I mean, he was far from home. Most people would never even know it. The orders came from the king himself. But he kept his promise to God. I'll not defile myself with the king's meat and the king's wine. I'll not do it. We find that he chose to live holy. Later, 
when the decree was made that nobody could, could pray to anybody, could go to anybody except the king himself. And yet three times a day, he bowed himself down and he went before his God and it cost him being put into the lion's den. But even the king said, your God will protect you. Daniel had resolve. The powers that be and all the threats of the world wouldn't move him from that resolve in his heart. Jacob had resolve. You could turn to the book of Genesis chapter 28 and you could read about Jacob. And when he first came to that place and he named that place Bethel and he promised God something there. He made God a promise as he stood there. He promised God not only that he would live for him with his life, but he would give back to the Lord when God blessed him. So he's going to serve the Lord with his life and with his possessions and all that he has. Now, Jacob didn't always get it right just like we don't. But when Jacob was there that first time, when he made that promise to God, when he resolved in his heart to do that, Brother Steve, all he had was a bag of clothes and a, and a lunch with him. There wasn't much else. <laughs> but when he came back to that spot years later, he came back a very wealthy man. I'm not promising you wealth this morning. <laughs> I'm not promising you riches. I promise you this. I promise you God's blessings because that's his promise. You put God first with everything you are and everything that you do and everything that you have, just as Jacob did. You resolve that in your heart, and God will bless you. How about David? <laughs> we read this passage. Well, we could turn and read the whole of Psalm 119 if we had time this morning. But turn there and just begin to read. You see, David resolved in his heart that he was going to read, that he was going to understand, and that he was going to live the Word of God. God's Word was going to have its rightful place. He also resolved in Psalm 116, verse 2, he resolved that he was going to pray, that he was going to call upon God. You see, David's resolve was to read this book, to know this book, to live this book, to commune with the God of this book. James tells us that it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Resolve. The Apostle Paul, as we read and as we look at his writings here to Philippi, we find that the Apostle Paul had a pretty big resolve in his life too. And part of this resolve in being like Jesus Christ, that one thing above all else, Part of that was winning others to Christ. In Romans chapter 1, he said in verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also for the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. From faith to faith it is written, the just shall live by faith, Paul had a resolve. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul's resolve in being like the Lord Jesus Christ included the lost as well. Winning those lost to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it tells us in verse 19, Paul said, for though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all men, that I might gain the more. 
And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more fulfilling in the Christian's life than seeing someone else wonder Christ, than having that wonderful privilege. I'm saying to you, we're embarking upon a new year. There's a new year upon the calendar. But in the year ahead, will you make it count? Will you recognize the one thing that you must do? Will you repent? Put those things behind you. Those things that are past now, they're gone. Will you not carry on with those same things, but put them behind you in the Lord? Repent. Have a resolve. As these great examples do in Scripture. A resolve to press toward the mark, toward the goal. What goal? Your fourth thing and final. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, it's about recognition, it's about repentance, it's about resolve. Brother Ian, it's about remembering. <laughs> remembering. Remember who it is that we're living for. Remember what the goal and the prize are. He said, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One day in heaven, we will receive that ultimate prize. We will be made just like our Lord. But in the meantime, we should have a goal here to be as much like him as is humanly possible. Jesus really is the reason. We say sometimes around Christmas that he's the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything. He's the reason for all that we are. He's the reason that we live. He's the reason for living. He's the goal that we're becoming. Remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember that we can never repay him, and that's not what it's all about. Remembering the goal. Remembering the prize. We will be made like him. But that ought to be the goal in our life day by day by day just to give him our best, truly. True peace, true happiness. It's only going to come when we truly and wholly are living for him, not for ourselves. Folks, kidding ourselves won't do it. We can pretend, we can kid ourselves, but he's the very reason for living. He's the very reason that gives you anything to live for. The year ahead, will you truly make it count? Will you recognize, as Paul did, that our one primary goal is to be like Christ and to live our life holy for him? Will you repent of your sin and failure and put them behind you and reach forward to the goal that's before us? Will you resolve in your heart, not just to carry on down the same old path, but that as you reach forward to truly Press towards the mark. Press towards the goal of being like Christ in everything that we are and everything that we do. Will we remember? Will you remember that there's not only the goal that we will reach one day when we get to heaven, but that goal is before us right now. 
One day you will be just like him. But today, in this year that God's given us here, remember. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember that it's Christ that we do it for. To be like him. To be our best until that day when we are. When we are just like him. When that promise is fulfilled. The year ahead. Folks, it's a great thing to wish happiness to someone, but I'm saying let's do a lot more than just wishing this morning. Let's do something about it. Let's make it count. How about you? Would you like to make your year ahead count by starting right here today, by not following down that same path, but as the Apostle Paul did, recognizing that there's one thing that you must do, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forth to those things which are ahead, pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, that the one thing that you'll do this year is to do everything in your power to give yourself to God wholly, to be more like the Savior, to really let God do with you what he wants to do with you in your life. Oh, I promise you, it'll make it count like no other. We may or may not see 2014 click up on the calendar. Simple truth is, when we stand before God, whenever that is, will we be able to stand before him honestly and know, as the Apostle Paul did when he came down to the end and boy, he kept the faith and he finished his course? You know, this when we stand before God, will we be able to know, Lord, <laughs> you know, because of you, I counted for something. I hope that you can. We're going to sing for our closing hymn this morning, a song that just asks that simple question and asks us this morning. And you see, the thing is, if you have, then praise God. Have you done your best for Jesus? The songwriter says, have I done my best for Jesus? That's all God wants. I want you to have the best year that you've ever had in your life, but I want to do more than just wish you a happy new year. I want to say, make it count. You've got some choices in this thing, Brother Steve. We can make it count. Will we, as the Apostle Paul did, will we recognize, repent, resolve, and remember? We put those simple actions that we can make this year count, that it really, really can, not just by wishful thinking, that it will be the best year ever. Mm -hmm.